Hello and welcome to the ACEP podcast episode three, where we work hard to work out the why behind our exercise. And today we're going to be talking about um, movement and mental health. Uh, and this was an area of my thesis that I worked on for the past two and three years. Um, but uh, I won't go into too much detail about the thesis. It's more about the whole kind of scope of mental health and I think the role of exercise and the whole importance of um, you know, integrating exercise into kind of primary care of mental health treatment and why it makes sense and why it needs to be the case. And um, it's such a broad topic because it's such a huge um yeah, huge thing to, to talk about and to kind of break down. Um, but I think the, the things that I want to kind of explain and to talk through is, I think, a different kind of perspective and a different story that we need to tell ourselves about mental health and, and the things that we expect from it. And so help, I think as we change the story um, that we have about mental health, it's going to be able to guide our conversations and it's going to be able to break down the stigma, bef- you know, without really knowing it. Um, like I, there have been such valiant efforts uh, to bring awareness to mental health, um, you know, different organizations from Black Dog to Beyond Blue to Are You OK to all sorts of different um yeah, charities and organizations that want to, you know, bring mental health into the conversation. And, and yeah, it is a really important thing to do. Um, and, uh, like it, yeah, it definitely, um, gets us thinking about it and, you know, expressing some sort of, yeah, empathy towards the, towards those that are experiencing mental illnesses. Um, but I think there's something that, is much deeper than that, that needs to be addressed. Otherwise these efforts um, will have to go on for much longer until like something kind of significant actually um, happens. So I'm not saying these conversations and awareness isn't helping, uh, but I think there's something deeper that we can do for one another um, to be able to address the issue. Um, And like, it's not, anything kind of mind blowing. It's, it's generally a very, very simple thing. And so we just start with, you know, how we see mental health at the moment. And so when we, you know, I think I have a few friends that are teachers and, uh, they, when, yeah, when they talk to, you know, students about, you know, mental health stuff, I think kids at that time are just, you know, are just thinking that, um, yeah, mental health or having depression is just the state of just, yeah, being sad about a particular, you know, for a phase, phase of life or a phase of time. Um, and yeah, like, you know, they might even talk about, you know, there might be, uh, you know, imbalances of hormones in, in the brain that, you know, leads them to doing that. And so, um, yeah, I think that's very tip of the iceberg stuff. And that's very, you know, very surface stuff in terms of, yeah, what you're able to see. And, you know, the thing that we want to have students engage in is definitely like looking below, you know, looking beyond what you see on the surface. Um, I don't know if that's sort of like Lion King reference of, you know, looking beyond what you can see. Um, but yeah, I think the whole whole story that we tell ourselves, you know, because mental health is, um, you know, the health that you have to be able to cope with, 
you know, life stresses and all the different difficulties of life. And, you know, health is involved in so many different ways. So you've got your emotional health, your social health, you know, physical health, spiritual health and mental health. And, you know, you need those things, those kind of aspects of your health to be healthy, to be able to cope well with life. And so on the surface of it, if if you have someone who's struggling with mental um, health or really struggling to cope with the kind of stresses of life and, and things like that, it can be seen as a sign of weakness and it can be seen as just someone copping out or kind of being weak um, to, you know, not um, that they're not tough enough to kind of deal with deal, deal with life and they need to, you know, quote unquote, harden up or, or whatnot. But because that, that's, that story that we tell ourselves is very, very shallow, very artificial about the kind of true nature of what depression and anxiety is, you know, if that's the whole story, of course, that, that would make sense. But there's so many things underlying that, that, you know, and the outward appearance of it seems uh, to be, you know, um, you know, they can't cope or they're really sad or they're just really down about themselves. Um, there's so, so much more of it. And it's it's just really fascinating to see as uh, as society kind of evolves um, and, you know, we're becoming more individualistic. We have social media, but we're becoming more lonely and more disconnected, even though we are more connected, you know, um, through the Internet. There's, there's this like increase of prevalence um, in mental illnesses of depression and anxiety and, and stress disorders. Um, I think the statistic is one in one in five will develop a mental illness. And that's that's a ridiculously high statistic. But like it's just not given the sense, I think, the, the gravity um, of what it of the impact of like depression or anxiety or mental illness on, on an individual and the people around them. And it's just been a fascinating conversation of why stigma continues to exist, even though this kind of illness is, you know, becoming more and more prevalent. And, you know, our, like what we understand on the, on the surface, you know, on the medical side of things or um, on the biological side of things, yes, there appears to be um, an imbalance in hormones and different chemicals that um, aren't producing um, itself enough. So things like serotonin, dopamine. Um, yeah, there's something that happens where there's just the body's not producing enough. And um, yeah, those kind of feel good hormones or those happy hormones aren't being expressed enough. So, you know, it results in someone feeling sad and, and whatnot and, and down. And the other frontline therapy is psychotherapy, uh, which, you know, going to see a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and it, those things do have value to, to cover the biological stuff and the mental side of things. Um, they definitely have their value. I'm not here to, you know, be like, oh no, like, you know, normal treatment doesn't work or anything, but, um, yeah, like, uh, going to therapy and seeing a psychologist just does, does wonders in, in regards to, um, how, yeah, how they can address different uh, ways of thinking. And, um, I think because a lot of experiences and a lot of trauma that people go through can skew the way that they, they view things and they perceive the world. Um, it's really important for people, um, to, yeah, to seek help, to correct some of these thoughts because, um, you know, 
the the perception that you have um, of people or of the world, of relationships or friendships that's kind of shaped by trauma is usually going to be unhealthy and it's going to be kind of self-sabotaging and very damaging. And so, you know, there's this really lovely picture, um, I wish I could show it, but, um, you know, it's someone sitting next to a psychologist and, um, you know, in their thought bubble, in their speech bubble, it's just these bunch of lines that he's scrambled and uh, doesn't make sense and very disorienting. And, And it connects up to the psychologist's speech bubble where the psychologist is kind of pulling them apart and sorting out, you know, the reds from the greens, from the, from the blue, um, strings. And it's just this wonderful picture of what, you know, a psychologist or a psychiatrist can do for you just to, you know, bring some clarity into, you know, the way you see the world, you know, especially if you've gone through something really traumatic. And these are frontline therapies because I think we, that's what we understand about, uh, depression, that, that those two things are the frontline therapies. And at the moment from, you know, the American Psychiatric Association, um, medication and psychotherapy are the frontline treatments. And recently, like exercise was rejected as one of the frontline treatments, despite the overwhelming evidence at the moment. And um, so I was listening to uh, two TED Talks from the same person from Yohan Hari. Um, I don't know, some people don't like the stuff he's talking about, but I think for me, like having gone through um, depression and anxiety, like I think his view and his perspective and the story that he tells um, really does make sense and kind of rings true. And I thought I'd share it, like his TED Talks are online and I'm just here, I'll just kind of summarize the, the things that he talks about. And so like he himself um, go like, you know, has anxiety and went on medication for a bit of like relief and to kind of manage things. Um, and he traveled around the world to try and answer the question of like, you know, what, what is depression what, and what causes it and what's the kind of root problem for it. And so, you know, he goes through all, you know, talks to professors from all around the world and he, um, yeah, get, gets, comes to the conclusion that there are about nine scientific kind of causes um, of, of depression and anxiety and addiction and stuff like that. And so there's bi- two biological ones, you know, uh, your brain imbalances for sure, um, and your environment and things like that. And there's all, but the majority of the causes are due to your lifestyle. So you list um, different, you know, lifestyle factors, such as, you know, if you're feeling uh, lonely, you're going to be more likely to develop depression. If you don't have any kind of autonomous control uh, in your job and you're just always kind of told what to do and you never have any freedom to make, make your own choices, that's going to kind of lead to an increased risk of depression. You're, you're kind of, if you don't have much time and exposure to the natural world, so if you don't go outside too much, that's known to um, increase your risk of depression. Um, and yeah, definitely like physical in- inactivity as well. And, and so like this, I think when he, when he has come to this kind of conclusion of these are the kind of the majority of, um, you know, causes or risk factors that, um, that are there that kind of lead to depression and anxiety, like it really presents this opportunity for exercise physiologists to work in that space because we are the experts in delivering lifestyle interventions. Um, 
yeah, to, to think about, you know, what, what exercise can do to address loneliness or to address, um, your exposure to the natural world. And so that, that is really like exciting place to be. And we definitely need like evidence is like there definitely, um, whether it's a matter of just, you know, lobbying, lobbying or communicating or just having the conversation with one another that we can get exercises part of, um, yeah, part of routine treatment for mental health. And so that, um, it becomes, um, just the regular thing that people can do. And it's just so beneficial uh, to address those factors so that we can reduce the risk of developing depression. Uh, and so that we can, you know, reduce the you know, severity of the side effects because we can reduce medication uh, and do that. And then, um, so Johanna Hari goes on to talk about, you know, we all have kind of physical needs that we need to kind of survive on the day to day basis. So food, shelter, water, and, you know, clothes and, and whatnot. And so every one of us will have, yeah, physical needs and we definitely need, you know, mental such like psychological needs as well. We need to feel that we belong. We need to feel like we have a meaning or a purpose in life, in what we do. Um, we need to feel like we're valued um, in our kind of tribes or in, um, in a group setting or, or wherever in any kind of group, uh, we need to feel like we have like a hope in a future. And so these are some of the things that are addressed in, you know, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So like self-esteem, belonging, uh, and things like that. And that is such, so core to what it means to be a human. And so, so what he kind of concludes from that and what really makes sense is, um, when, you know, we have lifestyles that really take us away from, you know, belonging and having a hope in the future, um, particularly in the society where, you know, it is quite divided and it is quite isolating. It, yeah, it just fosters more kind of um, mental illness, like this whole kind of system, I suppose. And people who are going through mental illnesses, they are just human beings with unmet needs unmet psychological needs. Um, you know, when people are lonely, they lose that sense of value. They lose that sense of worth and meaning and, and hope for the future. And, and so there's just this fracture in, uh, in their core needs and it just manifests itself as, as depression, you know, losing motivation and losing interest in the stuff you enjoy and, you know, not, not like lacking energy and lacking motivation and, um, just, yeah, having all your energy like depressed and so that you're not able to feel like yourself and you're not able to carry out the activities that you want to do. And it's such, that's such a important thing to, to think about and to address. Um, and like he talks about, um, you know, addiction and the whole kind of, um, the system that, that happens to, um, yeah, to, to kind of try and, um, deter people from turning to drugs or, you know, kind of try to reduce addiction and, you know, what they've found over time, over these, you know, 15, 20 years of, of research around drug addiction is, you know, punishing them for, you know, drug use and uh, drug addictions is only going to make things worse. Um, because I think as we, as we think about who we are as human beings, 
we have this unique um, thing to bond to something. Um, you know, for people like us, we're well enough. Uh, like we're not going to, you know, drink, you know, tons of vodka every day for the next six months. Um, because, you know, we have different bonds and connections that we want to be present for. We want to be alive for, um, whether it's like friends or, you know, family or your fiance, your wife, your family, your kids, um, you know, your gaming friends, your, your whatever friends. And, you know, when, um, when you have, because we're in a system where when you go, go into prison, uh, when you have a criminal record, like you your access to your access back into the economy is just kind of tarnished. Um, you know, because you have a criminal record, you, yeah, the kind of opportunity to work and reconnect with people and society is, is vastly limited. Um, you know, you won't be able to work, um, in kind of quote unquote, the legal economy. And so that, that kind of system is a threat to making connections, making more healthy connections. And so, um, yeah, so they're just in dire need of something to bond to, something to um, be a part of. And if those connections are severed, then what else are they gonna be able to turn to? And, you know, their access to drugs and alcohol is more readily available to them. Um, And so, that's that's a path and that's a choice that is made easier um, because of the system that we have and so yeah like our role is to help people kind of come together help people to find something meaningful they can do together and this is where you know running exercise classes um, is is such a good it's a cheap you know and really accessible thing that people can do to train in groups and to work out together and to train together, um, you know, for, for a common purpose, um, whether it's, you know, getting people to, you know, band together to, to train for like a, a fun run or a, you know, marathon or a city to surf, one of those things and try to like donate to a particular charity. Like that's something that, you know, will be able to motivate someone to, um, feel productive and to kind of, you know, reconnect socially and really address the needs that they've been crying out for, um, you know, through their depression that, you know, they feel unheard crying out about. And so this is, you know, this is like a method called social prescribing that kind of Johan talks about, and it's kind of starting through Europe and, you know, Portugal was one of the first countries to, you know, decriminalize, um, drugs and it's just been kind of significantly effective. And, and so it really needs to stop being this individual thing, um, that, you know, um, like I know our, you know, our system and the way that we want to say things is like, go seek help, go seek help. Um, but it really needs to be a collaborative effort. Like you need people, you know, in those people's lives to say, you know, I'm here for you. I love you. I'm, um, I'm here like with you all the way. Um, I'm not going to abandon you, you know, if you're using drugs or not, 
um, if you're depressed or not, if you're anxious or not. Um, I'm here because, yeah, I love you and nothing's going to change that. And that's connection that, that we need with one another so that, you know, we can address this issue of, of depression and anxiety that's really holding people back from just enjoying life and, and you know, being able to do what they want to do um, in life. And like the things that we do um, as a society definitely don't help. Social media doesn't help. Um, you know, constantly showing your highlight reel, um, on social media is not helpful. Um, you know, it just inherently or kind of intrinsically tells you that, you know, you, you know, you have to have this highlight reel to, to post something, um, worthy of value or yeah, of worth. And that, you know, that just is a very invalidating, a message to, to send to someone who's really um, experiencing all these things. And, you know, it just feels like we're kind of put in this kind of machine or this factory of life that, you know, makes us neglect what's most important about life, which is all your connections and your family relationships and your friends and the cherished memories that you have with them. But it's now just about, you know, money and success and making a name for yourself. Um, and yeah, there's just going to be this constant battle and uh, with mental illness unless that that changes. Um, but it's like, you know, with the way things are going when with such a focus on, you know, rebooting the economy because of this pandemic, like that's going to become the main focus um, after things settle for sure. And it's it's definitely going to become a really worrying time for people with mental illnesses um, to, yeah, be a part of that, um, that culture and that society that's just so focused on the economy and making it better. Uh, I, I think it's just going to create a lot more distance um, from it. And, you know, it's just going to be such an invalidating experience further uh, for people. And, and so I think going through that, um, depression is not, or anxiety is not like this, um, thing to just kind of point out or kind of diagnose people with, like it is important to have diagnosis so you can inform treatment from doctors and the medical team and whatnot. But depression is, yeah, as Johan kind of points to that depression is a signal depression is a signal that something's going wrong. You have unmet needs and you, um, there's something that needs to be addressed with, you know, your environment and, uh, the people you're with. So it's really important not to, yeah, not to stigmatize or not to attack someone's weak, um, signal saying, you know, it's a sign of weakness. It's a sign that your body is working and is attuned to what you need. <laughs> It shows that your body is working. Depression is a sign that, you know, the alarm systems are working and it's doing its job. Um, and it's, you know, on the surface from other people's perspective, it, yeah, it looks like weakness for sure. People can make that observation, but it's an internal signal telling you that something's wrong and you need to seek the help that you need um, to address those needs and um, you know 
it's it's just like seeing it as a signal is such a you know different reframe a kind of wonderful um yeah change of story and change of narrative that we need to have you know when talking about mental illnesses and um you know and you know our frontline treatment is taking care of the biological um things of it um biological nature of of depression you know like i'm taking antidepressant medication to address my you know serotonin shortage um you know i mean i'm going to psychologist to sort out my disordered thinking um because you know when you have unmet needs you're not going to be able to function and see the world you know the same as you know everybody else or everyone who's quote unquote no normal um and there's going to be things that need to be addressed in, in terms of my maturity and um and kind of you know moving on from from trauma and um the way that things have been shaped um because of that and so um what what wouldn't like this amazing opportunity presents itself you know for exercise to become um a part of the main treatment uh, for people wrestling with mental illnesses and you know um, just on the surface of things or when um you know when you when you see those pictures of people exercising it's kind of the feel good the you know working together exercising building community a lot of gyms and you know fitness clubs will kind of sell this you know community thing that they have um you know it's usually people smiling and you know <laughs> smiling with the trainer and then i don't know <laughs> i don't know what happens after the photo is taken but yeah like it is important like it is such a accessible thing for people to to have and to use um to address those needs of loneliness and and hope and belonging and and value and yeah, it's really hard to understand why it isn't part of kind of usual treatment. Like the the evidence is overwhelming. Um they've conducted like, you know, study upon study to look at, you know, what physical activity does um for people with depression. Um you know, it's gotten to the point where they can pretty much say physical activity is causally um correlate causally uh, related to to depression. So the less physical activity, the more likely you are to have depression. More physical activity, uh, the more likely that you know depression is kept at bay. And you know we see different exercise protocols, or whether just two or three times on a stationary bike, or two or three times a week just walking, um, any just kind of movement um, when you're going through a mental illness has just significant results in. Yeah, in reducing depression, reducing anxiety, reducing PTSD symptoms, which uh, which I found throughout my thesis and my literature review, and yeah, like it's just fascinating and overwhelming what um, what it is, and and just a quick note between the difference of exercise and physical activity. So, uh, so physical activity is just the kind of the umbrella term um, for any movement that needs energy to move. So anything you do, you, you jump, you dance, you walk, you, um, you, you know, move your arms around and, you know, jump around. <laughs> um, when you're being a bit silly, that's all f 
physical activity. And the subset of that, like another category from that is exercise. And exercise is something that's more structured and planned and, um, and done for a particular cause or mind, like reason um, in mind. So people exercise um, to get stronger, to be, to, to, to be faster, to jump higher, um, whatever, to kind of in, in, improve their time for a marathon or improve their time for a, like a hundred meters sprint. And so um, they, those two words are usually, you know, used interchangeably, but um, yeah, they are, they are slightly different. It all looks the same on, on the outside, but I think just categorically um, they are slightly different. And so the, the literature comes down to, you know, increasing physical activity. So because a lot of people's kind of preconceived notions of exercise is sweating it out in the gym, lifting heavy weights, um, just whether they get exposed to something like CrossFit, where they're just doing crazy amount of reps and it just seems miserable. Um, and, and that's not what exercise is and that's not what physical activity has to incorporate. And, you know, for a lot of people, resting with mental illness where motivation is lacking, that's, that's, you know, getting them to engage in that kind of scene, um, of gym and lifting weights and just lifting really heavy weights is just not something that, you know, that'd be like, you know, even the most slightest, you know, they won't even show the slightest interest in. And, you know, there definitely needs to be work done in, in regards to, um, you know, changing that um, image or changing the, the first thoughts that people have about exercise. It doesn't have to be at the gym and sweating it out and in your active gear and whatnot. It, it's all about finding activities that you enjoy doing, uh, whether it's, yeah, you know, riding a bike around the park, having a walk around the park, going climbing, hiking, um, yeah, you know, rock climbing, bouldering, um, all sorts of different activities that involve moving just has, yeah, is, is what, you know, exercise physiologists will be advocating for. Um, it's not anything complicated. Um, and you know, when, if people have severe mental illness and, you know, they haven't moved in a while, just start with, you know, that five minute walk, like once a day, just whatever time and use those, you know, progressive overload kind of principles and do a little at a time and just slightly increase it, you know, next week or in two weeks time. And then over time, you're going to find yourself, you know, walking for an hour a day and it just becomes a lot easier then. But like the first part of changing behavior, and especially if you don't have motivation, is going to be the most difficult. And that's the that's a space and that's the area of exercise physiologists to be able to you know, help people make those first steps. And yeah, maybe with the help of the psychologist and, and whatnot to be able to address those things. And, um, you know, there's been research done on, you know, what exercise does on a neurological level. Um, you know, I've, in my thesis, you know, the areas of the brain that get, <laughs> that get affected, uh, I hope I remember, so the prefrontal cortex, uh, the amygdala and the hy hypothalamus. Yeah, the hypothalamus and um, no hippocampus, sorry, the forms memories. And yeah, like I think people with PTSD have reduced hippocampal volumes and because they're, um, because it's just kind of, 
yeah, it's just kind of inhibited and they have increased amygdala uh, volume because um, so the amygdala is uh, responsible for your emotional response and people going through PTSD are just always on high alert and always hypervigilant and their kind of sympathetic nervous system is just activated all the time because they always constantly think they're in danger and will act out or you know, act out their nightmares or yeah, just be this, yeah, always on guard. And so what exercise can actually do, you know, whether it serves as like a distraction or um, this kind of exposure therapy or, um, or whatnot, it just helps the parasympathetic system kind of kick in and yeah, to improve hippocampal volume and to reduce amygdala um, activation. And yeah, like it's, it's so obvious um, what exercise can do. Not so obvious, but like that it has an effect on the brain and um, it makes changes, um, you know, makes new pathways, you know, for, for more healthier behaviors, for more healthy behaviors. And so, yeah, if, if the word exercise or physical activity um, itself um, comes as a roadblock or an obstacle for people with mental illness, you know, um, you know, when you tell someone who's struggling, like, Hey, let's exercise there. <laughs> like that word in itself can just, you know, be such a barrier in itself. Um, but I think something that happened I think anecdotally, uh, with a few colleagues of mine, uh, working in the inpatient setting of mental health, uh, hospitals, is yeah, just reframing and not using the word exercise or, or physical activity. Um, but yeah, I think they did a quick survey of, you know, how do you feel when you hear exercise and it's usually negative and physical activity? Yeah, usually negative. And then they brought up the term, hey, how about movement? And they're like, well, oh, that's kind of a neutral term. Um, yeah, no hard feelings towards it. And yeah, so um, yeah, titling this podcast, like movement and mental health, I think, yeah, like it is all just about moving because uh, we understand what inactivity or sedentary behavior can do um, to someone's health. Like it has implications for um, increasing the risk of you know, cardiovascular disease and diabetes. And, and we know for sure that it impacts on depression and worsens symptoms, symptoms uh, especially PTSD symptoms and depression and anxiety symptoms. And, and yeah, like it just makes sense um for eps to be in this role and for eps to help address these lifestyle issues so that we can um yeah address these risk factors that are scientifically known uh to lead to depression um through exercise through the forming of groups and social groups and maybe sports activities and team activities like we will help people build a purpose like when you put someone on a sports team that, you know, you're working together towards a common goal. Like that gives a purpose and encourages movement, encourages action. And, you know, increasing your physical activity really reduces depression, uh, depressive symptoms, and it creates bonds with one another. And, you know, people who are addicted or people who are so isolated, they're crying out for, for a bond and for a connection to something and like it's just the right place for an exercise physiologist to be to to create uh, those avenues uh, for people to bond to um, 
And so that we can really address the core of the problem and not just um, address the, you know, the medical and biological side of things, although that's very important. Um, you know, it, it has value. It's not, it's not moot at, at all. Um, but you know, and like, I think a lot of a barrier that comes up when people, when people talk about, Hey, let's help out people who are struggling with mental illnesses is, you know, it's going to be difficult. They're going to be, they're going to display really, you know, difficult, um, they're going to be very resistant to change or reluctant to answer to you or, um, you know, um, yeah, just be a really hard time to be able to engage them in exercise and moving and, um, because they're not made of motivated, sorry. Um, but I think I know it's going to be difficult. Everything's going to be difficult, but doesn't give you a reason to give up and to not do it. Um, and you know, they're, they're you know, their signals are just ringing all the time. Um, and, you know, if you're in a privileged enough position to be able to offer uh, an avenue for connection, like it's usually free, <laughs> it's usually uh, very accessible and available to you. Um, if you can help someone out, you know, help them climb out of their depressive pit, like that's incredible. And that's such a rewarding um, space to be able to work in and not to like, I'm not here to say like, Hey, like, you know, once you get all these connections, like problem solved, <laughs> um, like that's not, it's not gonna like solve depression. Not, um, you know, when you, when someone's in, you know, full community and, and living well and healthy and whatnot, you know, it's not to say like depression won't come again, but it's just, for them to build such a strong, strong foundation and have such a kind of incredible support network that, you know, managing it becomes so much easier when you have, you know, people to lean on and things to participate in and things to get you out of bed in the morning, things to make you productive, make things that make you, you feel like a valued member, feel and places that you feel like you belong. And, and, you know, that's such a supportive network that, you know, we all need in, in our lives to be able to cope with, you know, how messy life can get. And it's hard to argue uh, with that. Um, you know, there are people who say like, oh, I'm fine without, you know, any friends and, and whatnot. But it's just something missing to what it means to be human. And and yeah, like we we do need that. And... I think I know, you know, this podcast hasn't been fully, um, kind of scientific and, and researched, which, um, like I'm trying to do with, um, yeah, a bit more scientific that I'm trying to do with, with, with these podcasts, but I think I needed to go with this approach. Um, just, yeah, we could, because we need to change the story that we tell ourselves about people with mental illnesses. Um, and yeah, hopefully just kind of shine a light on how exercise fits in. And I think the, um, just why it fits so well. And I think how it kind of addresses all the core issues and why it's so effective. Um, and, and hopefully through, yeah, our conversations with this change perspective, we can, integrate exercise as part of routine treatment and 
I think that's such that's such a wonderful vision um, that I wish I yeah could see. Um, you know, hopefully in my lifetime uh, that would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a long way to go. Um, like education needs to you know start from the bottom. Um, you know, and families with your with your kids and the people around you. And from that, that's going to build into something amazing and something beautiful where, yeah, we can see, you know, people wrestling with mental illnesses just reconnect with, with life and society and each other and the community. Um, yeah, so that, you know, no one has to kind of suffer alone uh, throughout um, this, this whole, whole thing. And, and so, yeah, I think, so... Yeah. So that's, that's what I wanted to talk about. Thanks so much for listening. I know it's kind of slightly different from, um, yeah, kind of focusing on the science and exercise physiology, uh, perspective, but I hope, hope kind of talking about this from this perspective has been helpful and insightful and valuable, uh, and hopefully change, you know, changes or adds to, to your perspective in the story that you tell, um, yourself about people that are struggling mentally and yeah, hopefully it changes the national and international conversation. Um, but you know, that's a big ask, but you know, every, you know, every drop in the ocean causes ripples and, uh, the more rocks we drop into the water, more ripples, the ripples get stronger and hopefully, um, yeah, it becomes something, um, substantial. Um, so yeah, um, thanks so much for listening. Um, yeah, I think in Australia with things that are happening in, in Melbourne, um, in Victoria, sorry, the, the state, um, yeah, hope you're all keeping safe, keeping healthy and happy. Um, yeah, love the people around you, be kind always, um, and you know, find your why to exercise and keep exercising, um, take care of your health physically, mentally. And I'll see you in the next podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next podcast. Bye.